Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Generations Church. Are you ready to hear the word? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the 10th chapter. And while you're turning there, I'd like to show you a video of an imaginary place. Mom, where's Timmy? He's gone to be with the Lord. He's dead? No, silly. He and his family have moved to Bubble Creek Canyon. Do you dream of a day when you can drive to work without being forced to look at unchristian billboards and bumper stickers? When you can turn on the radio without hearing the electric guitar or some other horrible instrument of the devil? When you don't have to interact with bozos who have the audacity to disagree with you? Well, at Bubble Creek Canyon, your dreams can come true. Hello. Or as we like to say at Bubble Creek Canyon, have a note. Bubble Creek Canyon is an isolated community nestled in 3,500 acres of magnificent and desirable real estate. Best of all, it's 100% heathen free. That's right, and you'll think it's the next best thing to heaven. At Bubble Creek Canyon, we use an elaborate screening process to ensure that our residents completely agree with our doctrine. No ifs, ands, or Buddhists. We're a heavily gated community with fantastic facilities, breathtaking sight lines, and Christianized amenities. We have a Christian shoe store, a Christian t-shirt store, a Christian underwear store, a Christian bank, Christian grocery, Christian car dealership, Christian pet store, Christian liquor store, and a Christian tattoo parlor. Temporary, of course. We have a nationally recognized school district and only one textbook. We also think you're going to like our library. How'd this filth get in here? At the BCC Cinema, you can watch all the latest movies without worrying about the questionable content because we removed it all. Every home comes with a spacious backyard with plenty of room for an optional baptism pool. Hey, pin the ear on the high priest soldier, one of my personal favorites. And each home comes equipped with built-in Christian signage. Just try to pull this off the wall. With our combination cable and internet package, you'll have access to ES Pray In, My Heavenly Space, God Tunes, Godopedia, God Gold, God Bay, Godcast, and The Sopranos. Every morning, a copy of our community paper will be delivered to your doorstep. And our publication is committed to protecting you from all that unpalatable bad news that's always happening around the world. Our landscaping company, Holy Ground, will make sure that your front yard is always impeccably manicured. We've added a new feature this year. Around the holidays, special sensors in the streetlights detect non-nativity ornamentation and act quickly to eliminate these unsightly eyesores. Bubble Creek Canyon. If God wasn't omnipresent, he'd probably live here. <laughs> How many want to move there? Let me have a little interaction here. Um... How about some adjectives and adverbs that describe the Christian life? Can you just speak it out? Yes, worship, prayer, hearing the word, obeying the word, serving, yes, witnessing, singing, Ministering. All right. We've got the basic idea of what's involved in living for Jesus. Let me ask you a question. 
of all those things we said and more, what one thing will we not be doing in heaven? Witnessing, yes. We're a smart bunch here this morning. That's why I'm speaking today on a very important subject. You know, many times as believers, we so long for heaven, although we don't want to go there on the next load, we want to go to heaven, don't we? Yes. And since we don't want to go there on the next load, well, we want to kind of create heaven here on earth. And all those that have tried to create such a thing as Bubble Creek has wound up being some kind of weird cult. And usually it winds up fragmenting because Christians don't get along with each other because God doesn't bless it and he wants to scatter us so that we can be an influence in the earth and do here what can't be done in heaven. We're talking about evangelism today. Have you found Matthew chapter 10? Beginning with verse 5, Jesus is sending out the 12 and he commands them saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter into the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Here's a Messiah of the world commissioning his closest followers to go out. Maybe he's sending them out two by two, as he did with the 70. But he sends them first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, why does he do that? Are Jews his favorite people? God had a covenant with a man named Abraham, his friend, and he promised to bless Abraham and his descendants. And who here would agree that anyone who makes a promise to a friend and and to their descendants would be a liar if they did not live up to that? So the gospel is, according to Romans 1.16, the power of God into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the non-Jew. So the gospel is to the Jew first. So he sends them out to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, anytime the church has ever gotten away from taking the gospel to the Jew first, it gets into some weird extremes. Because you see, the Christian faith is rooted in the Old Testament, fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, And any time we get severed from our roots, we open the door to weirdness. If the church had not fallen away from the priority of taking the gospel to the Jew first, it would have thought twice before it began to embrace crazy pagan practices for the sake of growing the church. And we wouldn't be dealing today with some believers, so-called believers in the earth, wanting to make the early church saints into gods or even modern saints into gods and goddesses and praying to them. People wouldn't be kissing statues of Mary if the church had maintained the integrity of the gospel to the Jew first, because Jews wouldn't have gone for that kind of practice. And the church leaders would have thought twice, that, hey, our Jewish evangelism mandate won't work if we embrace this pagan practice into the church and try to make it Christian. So the gospel's to the Jew first. So if you know any Jews, tell them about Jesus, show them the love of God first. I also think the lost sheep of the house of Israel could apply to those who have been saved and have fallen away. It's as though they are those who are lost in Zion. How many would say that sometimes that evangelism can be intimidating? Well, I've got good news for you today. You could get your feet wet in areas that's not intimidating, 
by reaching out and ministering to your brothers and sisters that have backslidden and fallen away. A couple Sundays ago, I made available to you a book called Rethink Church. And it's written to those who used to go to church. And it deals with 10 of their most common excuses. And we ran out of those books, but I've got a bunch more available to you out here in our foyer at the round table. Pick up however many you need and reach out to those people who used to go to church. They don't go anymore. They may not read the whole book. They may just look up their excuse. And it addresses those excuses very strongly, but very kind without being defensive and will make them think twice. You know, sometimes when you get into a discussion with someone that may result in a debate, they don't listen to you. They just wait for their turn to talk. Have you ever been in that kind of discussion where you're really not communicating, you're just waiting for your turn to talk? Well, this is the beauty of a CD, tape, DVD, or a book. They read silently or watch it without talking, and the person who's communicating the truth is able to make their points in a sane manner without the person listening just jumping in at any old time to make their time, make their point. So there may be some truth you know that you're not able to get through to the person, but a book, a track, an article, an email, a video, a tape, or a CD could get the point across. So this is one such book called Rethink Church. All I ask is you do two things. First, that you read the book yourself. It takes less than 30 minutes. Read the book yourself and then give them the book and say, hey, I read this book. Don't tell them, hey, my pastor gave me this book to give you. Don't do that. Read the book. And if you feel it's something that can apply to them, then give it to them and say, hey, here's a book I want to give you about this not going to church anymore business. I'd like for you to read this or at least look, you know, look through it and let's talk about it. And who knows where that could lead? If nothing else is going to get your feet wet in the area of bringing people to Christ, by starting with those who need to be brought back into the fold. Last Sunday, we made available a book by Max Lucado called Turn. It is written to America, calling America to return back to its roots, back to following God, as well as a book written on repentance for the backslider. I think there has got to be thousands of backsliders in our nation right now who are very concerned about the future of our nation. What are they looking to for security? They've got to be going to the gun shows and investment seminars and all kinds of other things or falling into deep addictions. Well, this is one such book that addresses the needs of our nation as well as the needs of the backslider. We completely ran out of the books last Sunday, but I've got news. We got a whole bunch more. They're available in the foyer at the round table. We're wanting to equip you and give you tools to use. Once again, a book is something they can read and they won't argue. They're going to read the book and when they're done, they'll say, hey, I disagree with this or disagree with that. But the book will get the point across many times much more smoothly than in a discussion or debate we might have with them. So those two books, be sure and avail yourself to those. If you need more, let me know. Rethink Church and Turn by Max Lucado. James 5, verse 19 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from, wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, I believe that speaks to backsliders. He says, Brothers, if anyone among you, brothers, 
If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone, that could be you and me, turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that good? All right, let's look back at our text. Matthew 10, Jesus is still talking to the disciples. Verse uh, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And we all say wolves. Wolves bite, don't they? Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I've highlighted that portion of the verse because that's where I'm drawing my main thought from today. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. In Luke 21, Jesus said, verse 12, you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Now look here at the screen. It says you'll be brought before governors and kings as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. He sends them to the lost sheep of Israel. And as they go, it will result in persecution or doors opening where it will result in ministry to the Gentiles. If you minister to the Jew first, if you go to the backslider first, it will result in you and I ministering to the heathen and the atheist and those who have never known or been introduced to the Lord. And with this promise, it, it, with this commission, is a promise that when you're arrested, when you're questioned, when you're hauled in before a council, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will help you. The verse I just read from Luke 21, verse 15, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Can we say wisdom? It's one thing to have a mouth. It's another thing to have wisdom. It's great to have both. I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. We see this fulfilled in Acts 6, verse 10, in the ministry of Stephen. It says his critics were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And if you read his preaching in Acts 6, it is incredibly powerful preaching, preaching Jesus from a very convicting standpoint, running through the history that they had as Jews, convicting them of sin. Of course, in his case, it got him killed. But you know what? He didn't go through it alone. He looked up as the stones are flying at him. He says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand. I'd like to speak to you about this wisdom that God gives and call it evangelistic wisdom. Can we say evangelistic wisdom? Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is wise. The complete Jewish Bible in Proverbs 11.30 says, He who is wise wins souls. The contemporary English version says, If you act wisely, others will follow. 
The New Living Translation says a wise person wins friends. So my first point today is evangelistic wisdom is relational. Paul said, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law and to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. In other words, people that aren't living according to the Old Testament, he doesn't have to live according to the Old Testament. He relates to them because Christ has redeemed us. From the law. Amen. He's fulfilled it. And here's why. He said that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. That I might by all means save some. What I think he is saying here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19 through 22. Is to win souls. You must relate to the culture of the person to whom you are ministering. You must understand where they're coming from. If you have a biker living next door to you and you want to be effectively uh, in ministry to him, I highly recommend you, you become interested in motorcycles. Motorcycles won't take you to hell. They might make you smell like you've been there. But just find out about it. It may be completely foreign to your culture, the sport they like or whatever, but show an interest in what they are and identify with them at the level you're able to without losing genuineness. Many times over the centuries, missionaries have attempted to convert people to their culture in addition to Jesus and has created barriers to the roadblocks. Um, I remember a story in... Liberia, where we lived. Uh, these people didn't wear a lot of clothes, yet in their culture, they were considered modest. And um, I remember a story of someone being given a dress to wear to cover themselves up, and the poor bush person tied the dress around their waist and let it drag on the ground. Totally foreign to the culture, trying to make Americans out of the people. I also remember this, people living in the bush who'd never seen a telephone had learned the hymn called the Royal Telephone. Who's heard that? Telephone to glory, oh, what joy divine. I can feel the current moving on the line. Here's people singing about prayer as though it was a telephone to heaven, but they had never seen a telephone. Other missionaries, years before we had ever been there, had given them accordions and guitars and taken their drums away from them because they used to worship the devil with drums. Well, I got news for you. People worship anything with whatever they're playing, guitars and accordions even. It was the most horrendous music you've ever heard. Can you believe it? Africans with horrible music? It was because they were trying to make Americans out of the people in addition to converting them to Christ. Are we in the church today failing to identify with the culture with which God has called us to live? We're talking about evangelistic wisdom. Failing to, I'm not talking about sinning with people, lying and cussing and drinking to identify with them. But not living so far. You know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And some people aren't of the world, but they're not even living in the world either. We must become all things to all men that we might 
see some people saved. May God help us to not be so sanctified that we forget about real life. Amen? Evangelistic wisdom is relational. Statistics prove that 98% of the people in the body of Christ became Christians because they knew somebody first who was already a Christian. This proves that the most effective form of soul winning is relational evangelism. Now, you may see those people doing street witnessing on Christian TV, and it's encouraging, but some of it's very concerning. It's as though they're not really reaching for souls. They are reaching for notches in their gun for converts. I remember one time seeing a guy who's walking up and down the sidewalk in some urban city uh, with a cameraman and a microphone, and he's asking people, where will you go when you die? And pressuring people to repeat after him the sinner's prayer. And you could tell by the expression of the people's faces that they didn't believe in Jesus. They were just chanting or repeating phrases to get the moron to leave them alone. Saints, to be wise evangelists, we've got to understand one thing. We're called to sow seed. We're called to water seed. And we're called to harvest seed that is ripe. And if you try to harvest things before they're ripe, you create more barriers in that person's heart towards Jesus than were there before. May God save us from being stupid. That person doing that ministry is being misled and he's misleading others by being an example to everybody on TV to go for notches on the gun, for numbers on the board. Yay, we got souls. You didn't got souls. You offended a bunch of people and made it more difficult for the next person to witness to them. Let's face reality. If that works in America, we'd all be saved. It doesn't work. It takes people relating to people, getting down in the dirt with them and helping them see their need for redemption and ministering to them with Jesus, just like Jesus did and his disciples did. Somebody's got to say it. It's time for America to get a backbone and face the truth. We need to win the lost. And it's by being relational. Evangelistic wisdom is being conversational. Relating to the culture in which we're living. I want to say this this afternoon from 4 to 445. We're once again given an opportunity to watch the video entitled, Why Men Hate Going to Church. The reason I'm pushing this so much is it helps us to understand our culture if we look at some of the research that's been done, especially in the area of men, because if you look around, we have a low percentage of men when compared to other religions in the world. Christianity is falling behind. Why? Because we are not relating to the culture in which we live. All right, move on. Evangelistic wisdom is conversational. Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside of the kingdom, is what he's saying. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Conversational. Wisdom. I'd like to make another announcement. You know, this sermon is interspersed with commercials throughout it. Starting in September, once again, we're starting our monthly outreaches to UTA, cooperating with Grace Community Church, which has a house on the campus of the University of Texas at Arlington, where every Friday night or most Friday nights, they invite internationals to this house 
for a barbecue, for a cookout, for food uh, of all ethnicities, uh, sometimes are, are reflected in the food that are there on the campus. And so we're taking a group of people, Joe and Laura. Joe's back there in the sound today, one of our elders. They lead the team, and they go there and just sit down and eat with these folks and relate to them. And it's the easiest international outreach mission trip you've ever been on. These people come wanting to talk. They want to know who you are. They want to know what you do for a living. They want to know how you met your spouse or why you, you don't have a spouse. They want to know why you believe in Jesus. They ask the questions. It's the easiest evangelism, seed sowing, seed watering work in the world. And it's right here. It's available to us. And it doesn't cost anything. I encourage you to consider being a part of that. International students is a tremendous opportunity. Do you know Omar Gaddafi was an international student to the United States? I wonder what the world would be like today if the campus he attended had a ministry like this and some people befriended him. You know, some of the problems we have in the world as Christians is a result of our own neglect. Let's not miss out on this opportunity. By all means, get on board and be the church and believers God has called us to be. All right, evangelistic wisdom is relational and is conversational. You've got to talk to people and listen to them. All right, now let's talk about a th- couple things. Relation, uh, evangelistic wisdom is not. Evangelistic wisdom is not unscriptural. 1 Corinthians 14 says, If the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? You know, I have been to spirit-filled churches where they get up in the microphone screaming tongues as though that's going to increase the power of God. I mean, come on, you cannot increase the power of God. God says you should receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have all the power you need. And I've heard him say, let's all pray in tongues right now. Complete violation of Scripture. No wonder they succumb to manipulation and call it evangelism because it's not working otherwise. Will they not say? Look, Paul is appealing to them on the basis of what unbelievers and uninformed people will say. Then he says, if all prophesy or an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now, he's not saying if all prophesy at the same time. Later on in this chapter, he says you may all prophesy one by one. So if you see someone here and God gives you a word for them, go and deliver that mail. Other people may come along and also minister to that person. And it can be powerful outreach right here in our meeting. So Paul is talking that when we come together, we've got to be wise in our evangelism. Be biblical. It's not biblical for us to all be talking in tongues at the same time when unbelievers and unlearned people are in our midst. So to be wise evangelists, we must be biblical. Amen. Verse 37 says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. 
Let all things, let's say all things, all things, be done decently and in order. So decency and order are important if you want everything to be done in your church. So I want to be a full of the Holy Spirit church and full of the word church. Evangelistic wisdom is not unscriptural. Amen. Our children's ministry is in a series on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit right now. Interestingly enough, one of the videos they watched recently actually relates to this. I edited it a little bit to show with you, show it to you today so it wouldn't be so long. This is from our children's ministry uh, relating to what happened in the Corinthian church where Paul wrote these scriptures. What would it be like if there was uh, news on TV back in that day? Watch this. You're watching the Zion 7 Report, a comprehensive news magazine reporting today's news as it happens. With anchors Adam Ziklag and Eve Havila, plus news commentary with Ido the Seer. The Zion 7 Report. Disruptive services and a refusal to confront sin caused Paul to return to Corinth, where he founded the first Christian church years ago. Some of the congregational members were not at all pleased with Paul's Uriah Stayput says he's glad Paul came back. According to Uriah, before Paul returned, their services were nothing short of chaos. I mean, I love our pastor and all, but there were times when things got way out of control. People were standing up, speaking in tongues, dancing, carrying on right in the middle of the pastor's teaching. It used to drive me crazy. But after Paul brought some order to our services, those kinds of people were escorted out and pastor could finish his message. I like what Paul said, do everything decently and in order. Now with all the emphasis on order in the service, some believe there's a real danger of programming the Spirit of God out of the church. But Rahab Jockton says she had been to First Christian before and was not going back. Until a friend told her it had changed. It was in this new ordered environment, Rahab says, that she found God. Zion 7 correspondent Martha Abaddon files this report. Rahab Jockton has been in Corinth operating her pottery business for over 15 years now. She says she had heard of First Christian Church before and had gone once, but she vowed never to go again because she couldn't understand it. It was just too weird for me. I couldn't figure out who was running the show. I mean, was it the guy on the platform or the people who kept jumping up during I mean, the service? I mean, it was obvious that the people who were making the commotion were having a really good time. But it was my first time to church. It just didn't make any sense to me. I said, if this is God, I don't need him. My life is confusing enough as it Rahab's is. Rahab's longtime friend, Mary Manasseh, was the one who had invited Rahab to church. And even though Mary didn't understand everything the church was involved in either, she knew the message of Jesus was real. Mary said she began to pray that her church would be more sensitive to the lost. And not long after that, Paul returned to Corinth. I knew in my heart that we were on the right track. And, and I also knew that Rahab needed to give us a second chance. So I kept after her. She sure did. And I am really That's when glad. I gave my heart to Jesus. 
Now Rahab says she loves coming to church. She is even beginning to invite people to come with her so that their lives can be changed by the Spirit of God, too. For the Zion 7 Report, I'm Martha Abaddon. We see then that order in the service can make a difference in the way the church or even God are perceived. For Rahab Jockton, it meant the difference between accepting or rejecting their message. You know, the seer will talk with the Apostle Paul about all the changes at the First Christian Church of Corinth right after this. It's time for The Way I See It with Ido the Seer. Good evening and welcome to The Way I See It. I'm your host, Ido the Seer. The Apostle Paul is joining us again in the studio this week. Uh, Paul, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ido. It's my pleasure. Sir, you had to know that these corrections that you've been making in the Corinthian church would stir some people up, right? Well, I knew some people would be upset by it, but I'm just looking out for the overall good of the church. You see, the church was designed to be fruitful and... Okay, well, we've got some folks that have called in that have some questions about these changes. Uh, who's first? Uh, that'd be me. Paul... How do you plan on replacing the good feeling I get every time I jump up I in mean, the middle of I mean, it feels my... so good. How can it not be from God if it feels so good? I mean, I really feel like I'm flowing with the Holy Spirit. So what's wrong with that? Answer that one, big guy. Well, church First is not all, there just to make you feel good. It's there to get people next saved. Next question. Paul. Yes? I have a word for you, Paul. The Lord would say unto you, my son, that your days on earth are over, that you've done a pretty fair job, but that a terrible sickness is going to take you home to me. Uh, excuse me, sir. I'm doing a new thing. You ever get a chance to read the scriptures? Uh, well, no, not really. Uh, I didn't think so. You see, the book of Exodus tells me that God will remove disease and sickness from my midst as I keep his commandments. Yes. <laughs> you see, prophecy is to be used to build people up, not to tear them down. And it's to be judged according to the word of God. Next. Paul, I not just too long ago, you could go to just about anywhere in the city and hear people laughing and making fun of the wild bunch over at First Christian. I was afraid to let anybody know that's where I went to church. I sure wasn't going to invite anybody to come with me. But one week ago, I invited my parents to come to church with me, and they both got that saved. That could have happened if you hadn't come back. Thank you so much. Thank you, sister. That testimony was great. You know, it's difficult making these kind of corrections, but it's testimonies like yours that keep you going. Thank you. Whew, that was beautiful. Uh, folks, the way I see it, Paul is making these corrections for the good of all the people. He wants us all to be able to experience the goodness of God. And the only way that is going to happen is in an orderly environment. I'm a this here, and that's the way I see it. Well, that's our program for this evening. Tune in next week for more late-breaking news. On the Zion 7 Report. Good night. Did you enjoy that? <laughs> As produced by Willie George. Pretty creative stuff. Evangelistic wisdom is not unscriptural. God's not going to lead us to operate evangelistically in ways that violate the Bible. So you don't commit sin to win sinners. You don't get in the pig pen to clean up the pigs. But you relate to people at whatever label you're able to. Jesus, when he met those fishermen, he related to them all right as fishermen. He gave them the catch of their lives. So let's pray for God to use us incredibly and powerfully and miraculously and with wisdom. Amen. Evangelistic wisdom is not unscriptural. 
My final point today is evangelistic wisdom is not unreasonable. The New King James Version for 1 Peter 3, verse 15, ends with these words. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right, other translations kind of bear out the nuances of the Greek. The basic Bible version says, be ready at any time when you are questioned about the hope which is in you to give an answer in the fear of the Lord and without pride. The Message Bible says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. The New Living Translation says, and if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. The Good News Bible says, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you. The Amplified Bible says, always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you, but do it courteously and respectfully. You know, being a Christian does not require that we park our brains at the door. To have saving faith is a miracle where God gives you the, the ability to believe the impossible. But it is not without reason. It is not blind faith. It is faith that comes from your heart, but it also has historical proof and backing to it. It's important that we understand these things. So in an effort to equip us as believers to be more effective, to give who would like to be more effective at giving a logical defense for the faith that you have, in an effort to equip us in that area, as well as to disciple the baby Christians in our midst, as well as to evangelize the unbelievers in our midst, we're doing something different starting the first Wednesday of September. From September 2nd to December 16th, every Wednesday night in this very room, with the exception of the night before Thanksgiving, we are serving a light supper at 7 o'clock. Simultaneously with this is children and youth ministry and nurseries are operating. We'll all be here, men and women in this room together. We'll have a light supper and at 7.30 we'll start a video series called the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course comes out of England and it's taught by an English lawyer who's now the head vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton Anglican Church in England who's seen people come to faith in Christ left and right by the hundreds and many are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he's English, he has a unique approach that I think is going to equip us to be more effective in ministering to our culture. You know, British, British people oftentimes are mocked by, by comedians as being, uh, you know, stiff-necked and pompous. But really, they're very polite people and have a high respect for one another's boundaries. You know, they would never get in one another's business the way we do here. Uh, I think of that often when I see a brother in the church that has a new car. It's nothing for a Texan to walk up to him and say, man, I like your car. How much did it cost you? In England, they would never do that unless they were really close friends or they've been Americanized. And so this brother, his, his name is um, Nicky Gumbel. He has a unique approach that respects people's boundaries while at the same time presenting a reasonable case for the Christian faith. Night after night, for 15 Wednesday nights, we're going to be equipped to communicate the gospel in a way that communicates love and respect for the individual. 
without being argumentative and boastful. And with his, with the video, unbelievers and new believers will watch and hush until it's time to discuss. And then we'll have discussion time around each table. And what we're going to do around these discussions is let each person share their thoughts about the talk without arguing. And then we dismiss and we go home. The goal will be, will be to be done around 830. Then during the week, we pray up a storm for those people whose faith is either faulty or they're just out to lunch when it comes to the truth of the scriptures in Jesus Christ. We pray for them. And then when we come back together, well, I understand the course works. You will be amazed at the changes that will have begun to be made in people's lives. You know, I think to be evangelistically wise, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work. Many times, you know, even in relating to our spouses and to our children, how many get in the way of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, we got to back off and let God be God. Let him do his thing. So I want to encourage you to plan to be part of this. If you'd like to be a table host to lead these, these gentle, loving discussions, we'll do it. Amen. Going to be effective. We got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'm going to conclude this talk with another assignment, as I did the previous two. This one is to reach out to total non-believers, heathens, maybe absolute atheists, or members of another faith. Who knows somebody like that? Yes. All right, what I want to put in your hands is not a book, but a DVD by Lee Strobel, who wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And this is a DVD documentary that uh, was... Uh, begun by his book. It's a documentary of the book. Lee Strobel was not a believer, and when his, fi- when his wife came to faith in Christ, he was appalled, and he set out on a quest to explore the Christian faith to prove her wrong. And after two years, he realized it took more faith from what he had learned to remain an unbeliever than it did to become a Christian and begin to follow Jesus. It's a powerful book. Well, rather than ask, asking an atheist to read a book, we're going to give them a DVD. But first of all, we must watch it. And then you can give it to them. And like I said with the books, don't tell them, hey, my church gave me this to give you. No, it's yours. You're going to receive it today, one or more of them, get however many you want. Receive it, take it home and watch it and pray for God to show you who to give it to and ask them to watch it or invite them over to watch it with them. If they've watched it, just have some friendly discussions about it. Let them argue with you about it. It's time for us not to be afraid to stand up for Jesus. Amen. It's time for reason and for conversation with the heathens in the world. These are tools that are going to make it much easier than just cold cocking, talking, bringing up the subject, but allowing Lee Strobel to do the talking and the, the historians and theologians and philosophers on this DVD to do the talking for you. And then you just follow up by sharing your testimony and reasoning with them, inviting them to come to the Alpha Course. I need some volunteers to come up and help me pass out these DVDs. Who would like one? Just keep your hand raised to get one. And while you're there, I'd like to show you the last minute from the video. Here we go. The evidence accumulated over time until November the 8th of 1981, which is sort of when I reached a critical mass. I remember going alone in my room and 
I took a yellow legal pad and put a line down the middle. And on one side, I started to list all of the evidence I had encountered for Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And on the other side, all the negative evidence against that. And I, I wrote and I wrote page after page. And finally, I put my pen down. I said, wait a minute. In light of this avalanche of evidence pointing toward the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's the moment that I decided, consistent with the evidence, the most logical, the most rational step I could take was a step of faith in the same direction the evidence was pointing and put my trust in Jesus. All right. So be sure and watch this this week and pray about who to give it to. And let's spread the word. Amen. I'd like to share this to the unbelievers in the house today. I want to declare that we believe the Bible is the word of God. It is an amazing volume of 66 books written by 40 writers inspired by the Holy Spirit on three continents over a period of 1500 years from all walks of life, from philosophers to theologians to preachers to farmers to kings to poets to musicians writing on hundreds of controversial subjects, creating a volume which, if you understood how it all came together, it is mind-boggling how, how wonderful a story that is. And yet, coming together, creating a unique book full of harmony. Organically, as it were, the Word of God. The chief theme of the Old Testament is prophetically pointing to Jesus Christ and to His people. And the chief theme of the New Testament historically points to the character of Jesus Christ. The Bible proclaims that Jesus came to the earth and lived a real life. That he proclaimed himself to be divine. The son of God for which the religious experts of the day had him killed and nailed to a cross and tortured him. An unjust death was his to experience. Three days later, he had rose from the dead and for 40 days proved himself to be alive. All of this is recorded in the scriptures from one, from more than one eyewitness. At the end of the 40 days, he ascended back to heaven and 10 days later sent the Holy Spirit back to the earth in a miraculous manner with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And the first congregation was born in Jerusalem led by leaders that he had trained for three and a half years and by members of his own earthly family. Today, there are expressions of that church, that first church all over the world. Hundreds of denominations, tens of thousands of congregations. In this city are over 50 congregations that have one common belief. That is in the, that Jesus was a son of God and that he died for our sins and that he has risen from the dead. And if we will but put our faith in him, we can be forgiven for our sins. For you see, we are all guilty before God because of what we have done and for who we are. We are separated from God. And because Jesus died an unjust death, God views that death as an act of mercy by allowing it to happen. That death can become a death by proxy for you and I. And if we will but put our faith in Jesus, we can be redeemed from our sins. That is the good news of the gospel. If you find yourself beginning to believe what I have just now stated, something is happening in your heart. 
Saving faith is being born. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. I encourage you not to neglect that faith that is being born in your heart, but to begin to explore the claims of Jesus. Begin to get one of these DVDs, sign up for the Alpha Course, begin to pray and pursue God to reveal himself to you because you're on a journey to heaven and you're just beginning. The Bible says that we believe in the heart and confession is made to salvation. You can't believe what I just said a while ago about the Bible and about Jesus Christ unless supernaturally God gives you the ability to believe it. And I believe under the sound of my voice, through the CD, online, and in this building are people hearing me who are beginning to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he did die for the sins of the world and not for his own, for he had no sin. And that he did arise from the dead. His closest followers were there. They all died torturous deaths. Not one recanted their faith in Jesus, for it was not a hoax. It is the truth. Can we pray? Almighty God, I pray for those who are coming to saving faith under the sound of my voice right now. I pray that they would call upon your name and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, I take that step and give you my life. Jesus, lead me to the church. Plug me in to the midst of your people. Let me be part of the body of Christ, the community of God, the hands and feet of Jesus to be used for you with evangelistic wisdom and bringing saving faith to others. Lord, I pray for those under the sound of my voice who are believers. Forgive us, Lord, for being evangelistically foolish. And help us, Lord, to flow with evangelistic wisdom, relationally, conversationally, and not being unscriptural were unreasonable in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's go get them tigers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May he give you divine appointments before the sun goes down today. To talk to backsliders and formerly church people about him, about him. And even to atheists and heathens and anti-God people. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go get them.